Well, let's take our Bibles together and turn back to the book of Philippians. We've had a couple of week break here, and I appreciate uh, uh, Lee uh, filling in. Is Lee here? I think he's in the next door. appreciate Lee uh, filling in uh, his overview of the Gospels. Did you guys enjoy that? Was that helpful, just to kind of see how the synoptics work together? Yeah, he's put a lot of work into that, and um, if, if you've never thought about how the Gospels harmonize uh, a study like that uh, sure can be helpful, so I appreciate him doing that. And then uh, it was a joy to have uh, Dean Collar with us last week also. Well, let's turn our attention back to Philippians, and let's uh, see if we can remember where we were. Um, perhaps the best way to start is just to look back at the text, the section that we're in, and uh, let's read it, and then uh, we'll pick up where we left off last time. Uh, following his greeting in the first two verses, uh, the section that we find ourselves in starts in verse 3. Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Uh, When we last uh, spent time in Philippians together, we were trying to really understand uh, this little phrase here where he talks about, um, let's see here. Yeah, where he says um, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And we've been talking about what, what does it mean that he perfects the good work? Uh, what, is the, what is he really referring to there? We've talked about what the good work is. Uh, the good work is that, um, that coming to Christ, the, the, the work of God in us as believers, that's the good work that started in our conversion and continues today through sanctification and will one day be completed through glorification. And uh, perfect it until the day, that's kind of what we're talking about right now. Uh, by context, we saw this last time, that the uh, perfect the work refers back to the phrases partakers of grace and participation in the gospel. He, he's talking about the, the work is Christ in us. It, it's the work of the gospel alive and well in believers today. And, and Paul says, I am confident, I, I have an expectation that that work that God began in all of you Philippians will continue to be perfected until the day of Christ. And we saw that uh, there are really three implications or three uh, aspects of the completion of the work. And we just got to the first one last time, so let's just review it again. Uh, Perfecting the work, completing the work, refers first of all to the fact that believers cannot lose their salvation. Um, We said that all believers keep on believing. And if you think of it like this, um, we won't take time to do this today, but just a review from last time. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, uh, talks about 
those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that uh, we might be firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he, who he called, he also justified. And those whom he called or he justified, he also glorified. Uh, theologians call that the golden chain because you can't break it. Uh, once God has started that work of salvation, even in eternity past, as it's realized in a person's conversion, as it results in day-to-day conformity of Christ in their sanctification one day till they go to be with the Lord and perfectly reflect his glory, that that work will be completed. And, and there, there's no... Um, there's no aborting of the believer from the process. You can't, you can't bail out somewhere in the midst of all of that, that, that that work will be completed. And we looked at a number of verses that underline uh, the fact that you can't lose your salvation. Now, John 10, Jesus says, No one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. And it, it's, it's out of the truth that we are secure, that the believer is secure in the hand of God and that God himself will ensure that that believer will continue on till Christ comes. It, it's out of that that we understand the flip side of eternal security, which is all believers will keep on believing, or what some theologians call the, the perseverance of the saints. The saints, the believers, will continue to burst, persevere in the faith. Uh, we know that that's true because God has said, I'm going to complete the work. So, so this is the connection I want you to remember before we move on. The reason believers will continue to believe is because of God's faithfulness to complete the work that he started. Does that make sense? The, when we say all believers keep on believing, we're not at all, I'm not at all trying to say that there's some work that believers do that ensures their salvation. Not at all. It's God's faithfulness to complete the work of salvation that ensures that believers will keep on believing. Okay? Does that make sense? Any questions on that before we move on? One of you asked about the, the Hebrews text um, about uh, falling from grace, and uh, uh, I'm looking for a Sunday in the near future to fit that in. I think we're going to finish this section, and maybe, maybe we'll go back and we'll talk about um, our Catholic friends and some of our other Protestant friends that believe you can lose your salvation and why they believe that. So um, we'll come back to that Hebrews text um, and I need a little study time, too, before we get to that. So uh, you can pray for me as we do that. Okay, so that, the first aspect of completing the work is that believers don't lose their salvation. The second aspect that's implied by that little phrase, uh, he, will, he will perfect the work, he will complete the work, is that there will be a pattern and progress in spiritual growth. Okay, a pattern and a progress in spiritual growth. In other words, all believers will grow and bear some spiritual fruit, both individually and corporately, both individually and corporately. Let's just look at a few of these texts here. You're in Philippians. Just back up a few books to the book of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, and let's see a little bit of this illustrated here. When Paul says, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, will complete it, the, the second implication of that statement is that all believers will grow and produce some level of spiritual fruit, and we see that all over the New Testament. Here's one of the verses that we see then in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. This is one of those verses that is descriptive of sanctification, of the, the daily walk with the believer. Verse 18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed. Notice the ongoing nature of the verb there. Do you see that? It's ongoing. It's a, it's a day-to-day progress uh, in uh, what's going on here. They are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from, as the, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Okay, now let's stop right there because it's very, very metaphorical there. What is he talking about? He's talking about sanctification, but let, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. What is he describing there uh, in verse 18? Wes? There you go. Excellent. Very good. That's a, that's a good analogy, that, that God is in the process of removing the, the sinful dross of our life so that we more and more reflect his glory. I like that. Very good. Great example. Someone else? What, what does he mean um, from glory to glory? What, what is that all about? It is. It's progressive. It's growing. That's right. Okay. Why does he, uh, and we're going to get into the minutia of the text here, but I think it'll be helpful. Why did, why glory to glory? Why, why glory? What, what, why doesn't he just say we become more like Jesus every day? Why, why doesn't he say that? Yes. Rich. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. There you go. Very good. Very good. What is um, uh, what is glory? What does that word mean? Yes. No. It's an excellent definition. Radiance. Yes, that's right. It's a spiritual, I like that, a spiritual radiance that we can't garner on our own because it comes from, yeah, it comes from God. It comes from the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, yeah, glory, in, and, and you, you nailed it. In, in, uh, in Greek, it's doxa, which means radiance. It means light. It means emanating light, right? In Hebrew, it's kavod. It means heaviness, weight. And when, when the Bible uses that to describe God, it, it's, it's talking about the, the radiance of his glory, the, the radiance of the weightiness of his character. Uh, you'll forgive me for the illustration. I grew up in the 80s, and we used to say, dude, that's heavy, right? <laughs> I think it started in the 60s, actually, but, you know, that was... And, and, but but that's, that's what kavod means. It's like, it, I, that's so amazing. It's like weight. It's heavy. It's overwhelming. And, and when, when uh, people, especially in the Old Testament, caught a glimpse of God's glory, that's the only word they could out, come up with. It. It's, it's so weighty. I don't know what to do with it. It's so overwhelming. So it, it's, it's light. It's radiance. It, it's it's the, the greatness of God's character on display, Right? So with that in mind, look, read the verse again, okay? So we all, with unveiled face, and by that what he's saying is we see Christ now. We see him clearly. The veil that was sin is removed, and now we see Christ. Now we see our Savior clearly. And we behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. So as we see Christ, as we see his character, as we see his radiance, what does it do to us? 
it transforms us in this daily, progressive, ongoing way so that we start to reflect more of that character. Does that make sense? And, and your analogy, Wes, was, was really helpful because the idea is God is in the process of doing a work in here every day so that my life starts to reflect more of that character, of that glory, of that, that God's greatness on display in me and in you. But, but notice, it's a mirror, right? Because that glory doesn't find its origin here. It finds its origin in Him, and we just reflect it more. Does that make sense? Uh, that, that's why, that's why when, G, when uh, Jesus says in Matthew 5, you know, let your light shine in such a way so that men will see your good works and glorify the believer? No, they're going to glorify the Father because they recognize that that, that, that light, that, that glory coming from the believer is really just a reflection of their Savior. Okay, Rich and then Becky. Yeah. Uh huh. Sure. Right. Right. There you go. That's good. No, that's good. That's good. I like that. Becky, did you want to add something to that? Oh, this talk makes me think of Moses yeah. and the Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny, you mentioned Moses. You guys remember Moses in Exodus like 30, 31, 32 in that area where um, he would go to the tent of meeting to meet with God, right? And he'd come out and he would be like, boom, you know, just just like glow. And they're like, oh, you know, put something on, Moses. And they, he'd have to wear this veil because he'd go hang out with God and, and just the association with God, he would walk out reflecting and radiating his glory. And it was so overwhelming that the Israelites said, you got to put something on, man, because you're blinding us with this. And that, that's, I, I'm glad you said that, because that's a picture of sanctification. It, it, it's a visual representation of what is supposed to happen in here as we meet with the Lord and as we're influenced and transformed by that meeting so that we more and more reflect his glory. Very good. Good stuff. Okay? So in the context of what we're talking about here, we should be growing and changing in sanctification. Um, Flip over to 1 John, and let's look at another uh, verse here. Terry is going to be preaching 1 John here uh, later on in the spring, Uh, so we won't do too much in-depth here because we have a more in-depth exposition on its way. But uh, just waving our hands at it. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and following. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and following. How do believers know that we have really come to know Christ? How do we know that? Look at what John says, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, 
is a carnal Christian. Is that what it says there? No, it says he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are of him, or we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Okay? Look at verse, look at verse 9. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He gives two or three different pictures there, basically saying the way you're going to know that a believer is a true believer, that he's really come to know Christ, is you're going to see evidence in his life. You're going to see a growing love for his neighbor. You're going to see a growing obedience to the commandments of God. And John is very careful, and I'm sure Terry will bring this out when he preaches. You understand, when John is writing this, there's all sorts of different words and things you can do in the grammar to really communicate to your readers what he's talking about. He uses a form of the verb that emphasizes an ongoing progressive pattern, not perfection. Paul's not, or John is not saying that a believer perfectly keeps the commandments of God and never does anything wrong. That's not what he's saying. He could have chosen a verb to communicate that, but he didn't. Instead, he's saying, and he uses a form of the verb here that emphasizes it, a, a true believer is one who is growing in his obedience, growing in obeying the commandments. There's a, there's a pattern, there's a progression in that, not a perfection necessarily. Okay, so I think I think we've we've seen that enough. Now there's a pattern and a progress in spiritual growth. Um, it, absolutely, yes. Right. It's self. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah, right. Are you, are yep. you trying to do that? Yep. And if you are, you can you know, pretty well be assured that, that you are a believer, you right. are um, trusting. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you were here or not, but a couple, two, three weeks ago, someone asked a question, and it, it kind of along the same lines of what you're saying. It, it's, it's really that, that fight internally that is evidence that you're really a believer. You know, we, we all know, and we, we can go around the room if we wanted to be real honest with each other and say, you know what, honestly, there's some days I obey Christ more than other days, right? We have, we have, ba- we have bad days where we struggle more than we do other days. But, but the issue is, is that desire, is that fight there. It, it, by God's grace, because of what he's done in me, Romans 6 that we read, are, are we striving by his power to put to death the deeds of the flesh? And it's that struggle that is indicative of true faith. The, the, if I could add you know, the implication of the flip side of that, and that is if you find somebody who's not fighting and who's not struggling and who doesn't care about repentance and doesn't care about growth, that's the danger point, isn't it? Um, that's where he says that person would be a liar. The truth is not in him. And also, we won't look at it now, but um, Ephesians 4 emphasizes that, that there's a corporate aspect of that growth too. The whole body is supposed to be moving toward maturity and unity. 
uh, as we speak the truth and love to each other, as we use our spiritual gifts to build up the body. So the second implication of this idea of perfecting the work is that there's going to be a pattern and progress, a pattern of and progress in spiritual growth. Okay. Number three, guaranteed glorification. And this will take us back to Philippians if you want to turn back there. The third implication of completing the work is that there is a guarantee of glorification. And uh, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 3. All believers will be made perfect with Christ and live with him forever. All believers will be made perfect with Christ and live with him forever. In, In Wes's analogy, all the dross is removed and there's nothing but pure gold. In the analogy of 2 Corinthians 3, as a mirror, the, all the impurities, all the aberrations, all the, all the cracks in the mirror have been changed to where now this mirror perfectly reflects the image of Christ. And I, I can't help, as I think about this this morning, our brother Lee Flynn is perfectly reflecting the glory of Christ this morning. That's amazing. Just, just a perfect image of Jesus Christ, not tainted or stained by any sort of sin or imperfection. Look at Philippians chapter 3 because Paul talks about this this aspect of glorification. Verse 20 of chapter 3, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Now watch this. This is the great part here. Verse 21, Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So so watch this. When we go to be with the Lord, either when he comes for us or when we die, God takes our sinful body and he transforms it through the amazing omnipotence that he has as God And he changes it, as it says here, so that it it becomes in perfect conformity with the body of his glory. We emanate the glory of God perfectly now in glorification. And um, when I think about this, I think, you know what? Those things that I fight every day in my life, those those stubborn sins... um, those things that bring us great spiritual frustration as we say, I can't believe I did that again. Um, The guilt that we feel from past wrongs. Um, The regret that some of us carry from issues that we've done that we're not proud of. On this day, all that goes away. There's no more struggle. There's no more stain. There's no more regret. There's no more guilt. There's just glory. And as the hymn says, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Okay? So when Paul says, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will perfect it till the day of Christ, what he's saying is at least three things. There is no loss of salvation, that there will be a pattern of and progress in spiritual growth, and there is guaranteed glorification. And you will notice that those three implications follow the three main stages of salvation. Justification, you can't lose your salvation. Sanctification, there'll be a pattern of and progress in spiritual growth. 
and guaranteed glorification that there will be that day when we are translated to be just like Christ uh, in conformity with His glory. Okay? Questions on that? All right, flip back to Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at this next section here and see how far we can get. Um, As I mentioned, we're going to be kind of changing up the Sunday school format to have some small group time where we can pray. And um, I, I want us in this next section, and we may get through it today, we may not, but let's, we'll just jump in here. I want you and, and I to be challenged in how we need to be praying for one another. Um, if you've read um, uh, Don Whitney's excellent book, um, uh, Spiritual Disciplines um, for the Believer's Life, Um, he talks about how we tend to pray the same old things about the same old things, right? And and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we should be praying for our family. We should be praying for loved ones that are sick. We should be praying for uh, that brother or sister that needs a job or is going through a hard time. But I want this section to challenge and change how we pray. Um, One of the best ways to grow in your prayer life is to examine the prayers of Scripture. They're inspired prayers, right? They're they're prayers that God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, actually pens through human writers. And we can learn a lot about praying by studying the prayer. So so let's look look at this prayer, verse 8. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, and this is just going to knock our socks off here. It really is. Listen to what he prays for, and we're going to wonder, what planet is this guy from? But it's how we should be praying. He says, first of all, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to see two things before we jump in here and and dissect this. The first thing I want you to see is this should be how we pray. It's a prayer for the completion of the work. He says, I'm confident this is going to happen, but then what does he do? He prays that it would happen. You say, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, time out. If God's going to do the work, why is he praying about it? (laughs) there are all sorts of things that God says, I'm going to do it, but you need to be praying about it. You notice that? All sorts of things. So God says, I'm going to do this, but we need to be praying that the work would be completed. But the second thing is, this is a prayer for sanctification, right? This is a prayer for spiritual growth. So it also provides for us a paradigm for sanctification. We can read this prayer and learn what spiritual growth in the life of the believer is supposed to be like. So it teaches us how to pray, and it also teaches us about sanctification. You'll see what I mean here in a moment. Let's look at the first aspect of this prayer. There's an aim. What's the aim as he prays? His aim for these believers in Philippi is that their love may abound still more and more. That their love may abound. Um... Hold your place there and flip to 1 Timothy chapter 1. What is the goal of sanctification? What what are we trying to do? As God works in us and we're changed, what's the goal? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, 
which reminds us of what the goal of all of this is. What's the aim? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. But the goal of our instruction is, say it, love. Jesus said there are two great commandments. In fact, you can sum up the whole law and the prophets in two commandments. What are they? Love God and what? And love your neighbor. Isn't that gloriously simple? Then in the midst of everything the Scripture has to tell us, it's like... It's like the scripture is, is, is we, we put everything the scripture says in this massive spiritual funnel that brings everything down to this, this one aspect, this one aim that says everything in here is about loving God more and loving our neighbor more. That's what it's all about. Jesus said on these two commands rest all the law and the prophets. And so as Paul prays in Philippians 1, he says, I'm praying that your love may abound still more and more. He's praying that there would be an increase in their love for God and their love for one another. Because as Paul says in 1 Timothy, the goal of our instruction is love. That's it. That's the aim. We, as we pray, as we think about spiritual growth, the goal should be that we love our neighbor and love our Lord more. Number two, there's a method. How does spiritual growth happen? And and when we're praying for our brothers and sisters that they would increase in their love, how's that going to be accomplished? Well, he explains the method. Our love abounds more and more in real knowledge and discernment. He's praying for growth in real knowledge and discernment. How do we know how to love our neighbor more and to love God more? By learning by growing in what we know the scripture tells us. I mean, if you're let's say you've got a situation with a guy at work, okay? And it's it's a it's a guys it's a it's a coworker and and there's just some conflict going on. You have to work with this guy and he's got issues and and you're like, "God, how do I love my neighbor? How do I love this guy who's hard to love?" Okay? How are you going to do that? Okay, you pray about it, and that's exactly what we see here. We're praying for wisdom and knowledge and discernment. How is God going to reveal that knowledge and discernment? How's he going to do it? Through his word. You say, Keith, this sounds like we need to be reading our Bibles more. Yes, you do. Because it's where the, the word is what brings knowledge and discernment. So how do I love God and love my neighbor? I know his word more. Listen, you don't need to turn there, but listen to Psalm 119, verse, how was it, 66? Psalm 119, 66. And you know Psalm 119 is all about the Word, right? It's all about the Word. Listen, listen to what he says here. Psalm 119, verse 66. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your Word. Verse 66. So teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. So there it is. He, he's praying for the knowledge and discernment, but where is he looking for the answer to that prayer? In the Word. And, and I don't have to tell you, the Bible is full of verses. Titus 1.1, that, that there's a knowledge that leads to godliness. 
Colossians 1, 9 and 10, another prayer of Paul where he prays for the Colossians that their eyes would be open to know the full knowledge of God with all wisdom and discernment. He prays again in Colossians 3, verse 10, that they would know that knowledge and discernment in there. Ephesians 4, 13 talks about how we speak the truth in love to one another. We, we use our gifts so that we grow in the knowledge of Christ to maturity and to unity. Spiritual growth is about knowing God more through his word. So the aim is that their love may abound. The method, how that, that love is going to be uh, increasing is through knowledge and discernment. What's the result? As we grow in knowledge and discernment, look what it says there. We are going to gain an ability, verse 10 says, to approve the things that are excellent. To approve the things that are excellent. In other words, we're going to be able to know what honors God. Okay, You see the progression? We're trying to love God and our neighbor more. That's the goal. How are we going to do that? When we pour over the scripture, we learn what God is like and what he wants and what his will is. And then we can take that knowledge and we can say, in that situation with the coworker that's difficult, I know when I do not return evil for evil, but instead I overcome his evil with good, that's what pleases God, according to Romans chapter 12. If I pray for those who persecute me, According to Matthew 5, I know that honors God. So knowledge brings an understanding of what God's will is in different situations. Do you see that? And you know this. Someone quote Romans 12, 1 and 2. Anybody know that from memory? You hear that? You guys know Romans 12, 1 and 2? When we are not conformed to the world, but we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds, what's the result? We are able to discern or prove what the will of God is. You want to know what God's will is? We pour over the scripture, we pray for that wisdom and discernment, and as we learn what God's word says, that gives us an ability to discern what his will is in any given situation. Does that make sense? So you can't know God's will without sanctification. That's what he's saying. Knowing God's will is a product of sanctification and growth. We know what honors God. Second uh, Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore we make it our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. The goal in life is to honor and please God. If you're a believer, that's what the goal is. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 5.15 says, And Jesus died, and he died, so that we who live might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. So, so the goal of salvation, really, the, the reason Jesus died, according to that verse, is so that we would stop living for me, and we would start living for him. And we know what it is to honor him, to live for him, when we approve what is excellent, when we understand what his will is as we come to understand his word. Isn't that amazing? You can know the will of God, but you can't do it apart from his word. That's how he teaches us. And he's praying this. I mean, he's just, he, this is just coming off his pen. I'm praying, Philippians, that you would 
grow in your love for God, you grow in your love for your neighbor, that you would know knowledge and discernment so that you can know the will of God so that you can honor him with your life. Number four, what's the result of that as you come to know what the will of God is? End of verse 10, so that you will be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. When you know what God's will is and you're walking in it, guess what happens to your life? You change. You grow. There's a growth in purity. There's a growth in blamelessness. Being, He's going to say later on, to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Verse 11, that you will be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, what comes through Jesus Christ. Um, you guys know Galatians 5, 22, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is, let's do it, class, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay? Some of you need to brush up on your spiritual fruit list there, but that's okay. That's, okay. that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Okay? When, when we aim to love God and love our neighbor more, and we go to his word to understand, to learn, to know what he says, that leads to an understanding of his will, to know what to do to honor him in each situation. And when we start applying that, we change. That, that from glory to glory, that progressive sanctification thing starts to work to where uh, we become filled more and more with the fruit of righteousness. You say, what's the fruit of righteousness? Well, we just got a list. We're loving people more. We're more patient. We're more kind. We grow in knowledge and faithfulness and self-control. Um, and th- those other uh, sections of Scripture uh, talk about all of those things. There's growth uh, in those areas. Um, maybe just one other, one other passage to help us to see it here. In Colossians chapter 1, uh, he says in verse 22, Yet Christ has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him. Now listen to this. Holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Can we just be encouraged that that's our destination? That's our destination. God is working in us. He's completing the work that he started. And the destination is holiness, blamelessness, and being above reproach. All right. Well, how does all that happen? How on earth does all that happen? Well, look, let's not look over the the most important part of his prayer. This is the most important part of his prayer. Look back at the text. This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. John 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me bears much fruit. But if you disconnect yourself from the vine, apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, isn't that important? Can can, can we just be honest? Can, Can we pursue spiritual growth without Jesus? We get up and say, I can do this thing today. I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to 
Bible principles. Do you know you can obey biblical principles without being conscious of Christ? Right? How's that go? You tried that recently? This is this little it's a it's a prepositional phrase. Actually, it's really just two words in Greek. The word uh, through is actually uh, part of the construction there. But it's so important because that little phrase reminds us that we can't love God or our neighbor. We can't grow in knowledge and discernment. We can't approve what is excellent so as to know God's will. We can't be pure or blameless or filled with the fruit of righteousness. We can't do any of that without Christ. That's why we read Romans 6 this morning. Because Romans 6 says a believer is, is fused together with Christ in our justification. And, and it's our connection with him that allows us to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to grow in righteousness. And without that connection, I mean, without that connection, it's like trying to drive a car without an engine, right? It's like trying to fly an airplane without a wing. You know, you, you can try it, but it doesn't work so well, does it? Don't forget, if you underline, highlight, star, circle, that's the most important part of his prayer. It comes through Christ. And uh, John 15 talks about that. Romans 13, 14. Anyone know Romans 13, 14? I'll start it for you. But put on... Ah, guys, you're killing me here. Oh, my. Let, let's... Let's learn a memory verse, shall we, okay? But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. That, what he's saying there is, do you understand? You've got to be connected to the vine. You've got to be conscious of the vine. You'll be relying on the vine. You've got to be praying for help, the vine. You've got to be with the vine, abiding in the vine. If you can't, we can't do anything. So, believer, put him on. And then go make no provision for the flesh. You guys will have that memorized by next Sunday, right? Good. All right. We might have the lightest turnout next Sunday as we've had all semester. Uh, okay, last thing. It's through Jesus Christ. What's the goal? You know, I, I used the word aim at the beginning rather than goal on purpose because even love for God is not an end in itself. It's close, but there's a grander goal. It comes back to what we saw in 2 Corinthians 3. He's praying for the completion of the work. He's praying for their growth. And he says, I'm praying that your love may abound. You're going to do that as you grow in knowledge and discernment. The result is you'll approve what is excellent so you can know what honors God in every situation. When you start applying that, you will become more pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Don't forget that all, all, all comes from Jesus Christ and your connection with him. And when all that happens... You know what the goal is? That God would be glorified. God is glorified in the transformation of his people. God is glorified when you and me look more like Jesus Christ every day. God is glorified when, when you love that difficult coworker and so exemplify the character of Christ. When you are patient with that spouse that's hard to be patient with. God is glorified when we 
pray for those who persecute us, when we forgive people that have hurt us. God is glorified when we look more like Jesus every day. And that's why he says, to the glory and praise of God. It's a paradigm for sanctification, but it's also a prayer for how we can be praying for one another. In fact, I'd encourage you, would you guys pray through this at least once this week? You can pray it for yourself. Lord, I want to do this. I, I want to I grow this week. So I'm praying for myself. Pray it for your spouse if you're married. Pray it for your children if you're a parent. Pray it for your parents if you're caring for parents these days. Pray it for those coworkers. Um, and, and let's let the prayers of the Bible transform how we pray. And um, we, can, we can start by applying this, this prayer this morning. All right? Let's pray. Uh, Father, um, thank you for the challenge of this section. Uh, we're encouraged that uh, you will complete the work that you started. And whatever, whatever the struggle with sin is today that each of us face, uh, we know that we have, we have sufficient divine resources through the vine, through Jesus Christ, that will enable us to walk in newness of life and to put those struggles to death. So, Father, we pray for ourselves that our love would abound more and more in real knowledge and discernment so that we might approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until you come. Father, fill us with the fruit of righteousness. Help us to remember that anything we do depends on our relationship to Jesus Christ, that it all comes through him. And as we do these things, Father, might our lives bring you honor and glory and praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.